Hey y'all, I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 309. And clearly, y'all can tell that we are recording at a distance again because Colby has the flu. Colby had COVID, then I got sick, then Donna got sick, and then now Colby has the flu. Yep, and so it goes. (laughs) So, bear with us on the sound, but, you know, we still get to see each other's lovely faces. Well, what I do want to talk about is I was listening through the episode last week before we uploaded it, and I said, affidavit, affidavit. Oh, did you? I was like... That is cringe. Why do I say things so weird? That's one of those words that like, you know how it is pronounced, but like sometimes it just comes out wrong. Like espresso, sometimes espresso comes out, you know, and you're like, no, I mean, espresso. Or like wheelbarrow. It's wheelbarrow, isn't it? That's how I say it. No, it's real. Wow. It's wheelbarrow is how you spell it. But we say wheelbarrow. Oh, yeah. I say wheelbarrow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I always have to Google it because I never can remember which one. Yeah, I always say wheelbarrow. (laughs) Apparently it's not. No. Well, I do have something to say about last episode. Oh, God, what I do? No. So, you know, where you ate the hair in your food because the food was so good? Oh, God. Uh. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it was, though. (laughs) So I did a poll on Spotify. Wait, what was the poll? It was, if you like the food a lot at the restaurant, but there's a hair in it, do you send it back or do you eat it? You know what I mean? Like, or maybe I said, do you still eat it? Something like that. Because 75% said, ooh, no, send it back. (laughs) 25% said, yum, yum, yes. (laughs) Well, there's a chance it was mine. No, it wasn't. (laughs) I mean, just a little extra protein, I guess, is all I got. I don't know. I also asked just that question, and someone commented and said, that's gross. No, and all hair is not from your head. True. <laughs> but I think in this case, the only other place it really could be would be like an arm. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I guess it could have been facial hair, but it was kind of a long... Yeah. Okay, I'm kind of queasy today, so let's not talk about it anymore. (laughs) Today, Carrie, that's grossing her out. (laughs) Last week, Carrie was here for the quesadilla. Yeah, quesadilla. I know. I was like, wait, what? Colby and I went shopping for some nightstands this weekend, and I was so proud of him because you know, like you see all the TikToks of like a husband and wife going shopping, and they have like all these things in the cart that's like their aesthetic, and then the husband brings like a a throw blanket over, and it's not at all or or anything a pillow. like yeah no we're just gonna put that down we're not getting that and he was like what about this one and i was like i'm so proud of you that is actually the best one here that's exactly (laughs) the aesthetic that i'm going for in this and he's like yeah i like it blah 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 dang you get me right oh besides he wants to mount a deer head there but (laughs) he's not well some people may not like this so fast forward if you don't like hunting things but he killed a deer this year that like had some decent horns. So of course we had the deer to eat, but he kept the horns and they're in our deep freeze. And the other night he came in, I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I just had to go look at my horns. Oh we my have it. God. <laughs> the guy that's going to process them has had pneumonia, all these damn people sick anyway. And so he's not been able to do it. So it's just sitting in our freezer and 
he's like, I just had to go look at my deer horns. <laughs> oh my God. He is wild. He does that about all of his stuff. And He'll just everything. have his golf clubs out. Just, just looking to, at them. Yeah. <laughs> He'll just go outside and crank the four-wheeler just to crank it. Oh my gosh. The four-wheeler that he traded an anvil for, you know? Did you know that story? Uh-uh. Yeah. We, he's had this four-wheeler since before we've been together. But he didn't buy it. He traded his best friend an anvil. Because his dad, who like just comes across all these people. Look, this is the perk of living in the South and in kind of rural areas. You come across the land or something, you're like, you're like hey, because his dad does timber. And so it's like, hey, you want to sell your timber or whatever? And then his dad like negotiates all the people and sells the timber. But this guy had this huge school bus on his land that his dad got to keep and the school bus was like turned into a traveling wood shop and it had an anvil in it like picture roadrunner being hit on the head by an anvil an anvil in it and his friend wanted one so he traded the anvil from the school bus for this four-wheeler oh my gosh and also that's not the perks of living in the south it's the perks of the west because Uh, his The last name, the West, not the direction. Yes. Because his family is so freaking lucky. His brother is. And his parents. It's because his dad will stop and talk to anybody. Because that's how you get business when you're selling timber and stuff like that. Because his dad's like the middleman. Like he gets the people to cut it down and buy it. And, you know, he's kind of like the middleman. So he sees some property with good timber. He'll go knock on the door. People don't really do that now, but back in the 90s and 80s, that's how you made your living, you know? Yeah. Go knock on the door and be like, have you thought about selling your timber? And they're like, no, here's my card if you think about it. And then yeah. two days later, you're like, how much you say I could get? I mean, in this economy, people need money. Right? I know I had a letter one time in my mailbox and it was like, hey, I'm a realtor and I'd love to buy your property, you know, that kind of thing. And then he called, but still, but still same thing. And I was like, oh, but like, I didn't answer it because I was like, that's probably like a spam caller or yeah. that I owe money. So not answering. But then on the voice while I'm listening and he is the same person who had dropped the note by and it was like, I, I passed your property and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, no. But now how much? Right. <laughs> What's going on? Well, Colby actually has an app because he used to go survey and timber with his dad. And so he has an app that he can see like who owns what property and it tells their information so you can contact them. So it's actually pretty freaking easy to get people's information and it's so scary. It is. That's like my whole thing. Like say what you will about Taylor Swift, but people are so mad at her for sending this guy that cease and desist for posting her like flight logs and stuff. And mm-hmm. I, they're like, Taylor Swift, this billionaire is sending a cease and desist to this college student. But this college student has like had issues before with this. Mm-hmm. And he's posting her flight logs and where she's going to be and all of that for someone who has had actual stalkers and that keeps her location as private as she can because she's had actual people stalking her. So it's like, yeah, yeah I kind of understand. Yeah, no, I do too. And like, yeah, that's all public knowledge, but you're putting that in the hands of people who might not be capable of han- handling that like right. the correct way. Or maybe not have known where to find that information to begin with. So you're making information that's maybe kind of hard to find readily available for people. Yeah. It's scary. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like it. Because then I just feel like it gets kind of weird because where does the blame lie if something happened Mm -hmm. and they found that that person, whoever, whatever happened was linked to 
yeah. that information. It's like, like, could you live with yourself knowing that they got their location from you? Right. But then also like, are you legally like liable for something happening? Yeah. Y'all, I was going to ask my mom to go shopping with me this past weekend <laughs> to look for nightstands. And she was busy. And Donna was like, your mom has more of a social life than me. I'm like, that is facts. No, she is in this little group from her church called 55 and Alive. So it's for people 55 and older who are well alive. And (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I get the name, but also kind of a toxic name, but also I get it. But this Saturday, they freaking went two hours north to Jackson to the rodeo. I mean, they went and ate this like country buffet, did the rodeo. She's gone to like a little church camp thing with them. I'm like, this woman is living her best life. Right. Which I'm so happy for her. Yes, because she's so shy. And I think it's really awesome that she's found this like niche group for herself because she wouldn't have done this, you know, with dad still alive. Yeah. Yeah. But she has her little workout class she goes to Monday, I think it's like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then they hang out and drink coffee afterwards. And I'm like, damn, this bitch is very social now. Right? We just have to make it to retirement and then we can have a social life. I swear to God, I don't think I'm ever going to retire. What did I tell you? My student loan said I'd be done paying them off 2047. Well, before we get into Donna's story, we have to talk about apostrophe. Y'all didn't hear us before we started recording, but we were both seriously talking about our skin because we're on the computer right now. So she was talking about her rosacea and I was talking about my hyperpigmentation. And given that it is February, we know that you are probably focused on giving your love and extra care and affection to others, but don't forget to continue to show yourself some love and TLC. And it's so easy to focus on the negative. How we talked about, my face is red. Hers has extra pigmentation. But one of the best forms of self-love is taking care of your skin so you can feel good on the inside and out. That's why we're super excited to partner with Apostrophe. Like Carrie said, Apostrophe's goals, it's to help you feel confident in your own skin, to love the skin you're in, whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, acne scarring, rosacea, hyperpigmentation, all the things. Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. So what is Apostrophe? It's an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team to get customized acne treatment or all the other things Donna listed for your unique skin. Now, through Apostrophe, you can get access to oral and topical medications that use clinically proven ingredients to help clear up your skin issues. All you have to do is fill out an online consultation about your skin goals and your medical history. You take a couple of little selfies and a dermatology provider will create a customized treatment plan just for you. Now, Apostrophe's bread and butter is acne, and they offer access to prescription treatments for all types, from hormonal acne to facial, even back, and even butt acne. And you know what? They want to help you treat breakouts from head to toe. One thing I loved about my experience with Apostrophe was that after I filled out the online consultation and did my selfies, which were horrible, but it was everything they needed to see. But after I did that, my consultation that I did over the phone was super convenient and I was able to set it up around my schedule. I was able to do it in the morning before I even got to work. And so it was super convenient. 
Yeah. And you don't have to go in person anywhere and no trip to the pharmacy is needed. It's all delivered directly to your door. And what I loved even more than all that good, good was that when it's delivered to you, the bottles and all of that have come with this postcard with cute little stickers. So I was able to put like a cute little sun and a cute little moon on my bottles so that I knew like, okay, this is AM, this is PM. And it just had all kinds of little cute stickers so that you could really personalize your stuff. And right now, we got a special deal for you. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash creep when you use our promo code creep. That's a savings of $15. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash creep and click get started. Then use our code creep at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash creep. Don't forget, first visit for only $5 when you go to apostrophe.com slash creep and click get started and then use our promo code creep at sign up. Thank you so much, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. All right, y'all, I hope y'all don't hear that my laptop sounds like it's taking flight, but it is loud. It is, it's just there. So hopefully that's some ambiance for you if you can hear it. But today I am doing a recommendation from Serena S. in the Facebook group. All right, so it's an evil spirit known as the Popabala. Now that's Swahili for bat wing. And it's not just any evil spirit. It's a shatani, which is an evil spirit in African cultures. Now, some people say that the Popabala is actually a cryptid. Others say it could even be a shadow person. But whatever it is, it's scary as fuck. And oh yeah, it can shapeshift. Uh-uh, don't do shapeshifting. I do when I go into a doctor's office and they have the teeny tiny chairs because my body definitely (laughs) shapeshifts to fit up in that chair. I didn't say I couldn't shapeshift. I said I don't like things (laughs) that do. Oh, okay. (laughs) The most common form is a humanoid bat, hence the name. But also they say the name translates to bat and wing with a G because that's what you see before you're attacked. The shadow of its wings and then you know you're doomed. So picture like a three foot tall humanoid figure with wings, only one eye, and it's in the middle like a cyclops, with little pointy ears and their fingers are like talons. So seriously, like a Batman, get it? Oh my God. But like I said, it's a shapeshifter. So during the day, you wouldn't notice anything different about this person. They'd just fade into the crowd easily, which definitely makes them more creepy because hello, trust issues. So there are different origin stories for the Popabawa, but the most common is that it was created by a witch who was evil and vindictive and as a way to torture her rivals. Also, they said that it could be a djinn that was created, but then it kind of got loose and did its own thing and didn't listen to the master anymore. So either way, it was created to cause havoc or wreak havoc. I guess that's what the saying is. And yeah, that's what it does. But it kind of, you know, it's like, be careful what you create because it could, you know, turn against you. Now, the first sighting was in the late 1960s, early 70s. So it's a fairly new little demonic dude. 
It was originated in the island of Pimba, which was right after a political revolution and unrest. So if you can just imagine like all of that energy and then this negative being is created, like that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to feed off of that. And then it showed up again in the mid 1970s in Zanzibar, which is in Tanzania. There was a girl, Fatuma, and she seemingly became possessed and spoke in a deep voice that was very unlike her normal speaking voice. She warned of this impending attack of the Pope of Balwa, and shortly after she entered her like trance-like possession state, they all heard loud wings flapping outside, and it was like a flock of birds were around, and then they heard rustling on the roof. Now, you know how I said that they like to wreak havoc? Well, they do like to wreak, all right? Because that is one way to know a Popabawa is close because they have that sulfur smell that will just attack your senses. Like a Bigfoot? Yeah, I mean, that's stinky, but like, think about sulfur, that's synonymous with demonic activity. I mean, they do call Bigfoot like the stinky ape and stuff like that. Now, also, it does have some smoke or mist that appears when it's near. And people have heard reporting the talons and the claws scrape on their roof where it lands and the flapping of its wings, just like those people heard when that girl was possessed. But before they understand what's happening, it attacks. So what does the Pope Abawa do when it attacks you? Well, it ranges from physical attacks like beating you up at night, But that all ramps up to when it rapes you. (gasps) And it doesn't discriminate against its victims. It could be women, children, or men. And it is mostly men. Now, the attacks usually start off by being something like sleep paralysis, where the person is awoken from sleep, but remains in that trance-like state where they can only feel what's happening, but not do anything about it. They can feel the heaviness on their body. And sometimes it's just on their chest, but then other times it's their whole body that can feel like it's being held down. And the victims describe having shortness of breath, and even they can feel their ribs breaking under the pressure sometimes. And many victims will wake up thinking like it was a dream and then discover they have bruises on their bodies and that they're extremely sore all over. Now, it's said that when the Pope Abala is sexually assaulting its victim, the popo's pp grows bigger and it stretches like enormously and that's like beyond painful oh my god to that, all of the victims I, I like don't even want to hear that that's so awful yeah so here's the thing if you don't talk about the attack it said that the popa bawa will keep attacking you until you finally do tell someone about it and now this is hard because like i said it sexually assaults people And that's just something a lot of people don't want to or can't admit to. Right. And again, it targets mostly males. So that's even more like taboo when you think about it in these cultures to talk about being sexually assaulted. Now, it usually has one main target. However, it's been known to attack every member of the household repeatedly. And when it's stolen all of that energy from you, it will move on to the next house and it starts the attack cycle all over. And it's thought to do this to really cause the most unrest it can in the community. It seemingly doesn't have one type of person it goes after. But here's another thing. The people it attacks the most are the people who don't believe in it. 
If you're vocal about how the Pope of Bala is not real, it will seek you out, make you a believer, and its next victim. And again, this is why it usually is a repeat offender because the person who doesn't believe in the Pope of Bala doesn't believe it's happening to them. They're just like, oh, that was a bad dream or whatever. And so then the Pope of Bala continues nightly until they break that person down. And then, like I said, that person then admits that they believe in the Pope of Bala. Now, in 1995, the biggest scare happened. It was like mass hysteria in Zanzibar with over 70 attacks happening. And since it usually attacks at night, people started to sleep outside because they thought they were safer when they were sleeping in groups and not tucked in their beds alone. Now, for weeks, people lived in fear of each night because they didn't want to become the Pope of Bala's next victim. Like neighborhoods would all get together, build a fire outside, and families would sleep around the fire linked arm in arm while some others stood over as like the watchmen for the crowds. There is a farmer in his 50s, Njaka Hamad. He was one of the victims in the 1995 attacks. He said he didn't believe in this before and Honestly, when it first started, he thought he was having a bad dream. But then he said that the longer the attack went on, the more he could feel everything that was happening. And he described the feeling as you are screaming with no voice. That is so terrifying. Yeah. Also, just to like be woken up being like, oh, bad dream. Okay, I can get out of this. And then it just continuing and continuing and building and becoming worse the entire time, Mm -hmm. and you can't. Now, he was a quiet guy. Like I said, he was a local farmer, and he was afraid to come forward, but he didn't want to be attacked anymore, so he did speak about it. And there was this anthropologist, Martin Walsh was his name, and he was in Pimba at this time. And he had heard some talk about a mythical creature, and he was like, oh, okay, but didn't make a big deal about it. But he did have someone who was watching over him while he slept. Now, the next morning, Martin, the anthropologist, said that his watchman told him that while he was there at night, there was a dog that was like stalking from the corner of the woods, just kind of hiding in that darkness. And he shooed it away, and it did, it went away. But then another animal was there, and he got even more nervous because, you know, they said the Popabawa can shapeshift. Mm-hmm. So, like, was it taking these different shapes to see how close? It could get to Martin's little compound that he was staying in, Pimba. Well, the man who was standing guard, he said he tried to shoo the other animal away, but it started running toward him. And so he was like, boy, bye, and ran away from guarding the door. Luckily, there was some cars coming. And while he went around, they were coming at the same time. And it was like the animal just vanished into thin air. So he was safe. Yeah, because he's like, you don't pay me enough to do this now. I'm going to stand here and watch you, but this animal's coming at me, so I'm out. Right. And he didn't stay outside Martin's place because, like, he was like, oh, my God, this could be the Pope of Bala. So he ran to his family's house, and he watched over them to keep them safe instead, which completely understand that. But he did tell Martin this the next day. He said, Marty, you own your own. (laughs) Now, we know fear makes people do really bad things. And remember how I said the Pope of Bala can describe itself as it's human during the day? Mm-hmm. 
Well, someone thought they had found out who that was. Oh, no. It turned out to be this man who was dealing with some mental health issues. And once the rumor spread that it was this person, there is basically a mob mentality a la Gaston and Beauty and the Beast. And so these people went and hunted this guy down and beat him to death. (gasps) And after they killed him, the attack stopped happening. So the community was at peace again. Now, there's a retelling of events because there were actually a lot of harm that was inflicted on people. But there is a retelling of this event on ResearchGate.net that happened with Martin, the anthropologist. And it's like his oral history, you know, all of that that he gathered. And this person said that what had happened was Pope Abala went into the first house and he started to attack. But the people made too much noise, so he went into the second house. Well, there in that house, the woman became possessed with something and started chasing the Pope Abala away from her family. Because again, like mama bear mode, like you don't belong here, get the fuck out. Well, while she's doing this, she's chasing them. The neighbors came out and they felt like they too were possessed by this other force. And they began chasing the Pope Abala with this woman. And they were screaming, there he is, there he is, seize him. And they chased him and chased him and finally called up to the man. And he was screaming, I'm not him. I am not him. But they ended up beating him and dragging him into the road. Now, this man that they were talking about, he survived the attack, but he did sustain several broken bones. His legs were badly injured and the skin was damaged from being dragged. Oh my God. Yeah. And his face was extremely swollen from all the kicking and the hitting he endured. And after he healed, everyone was like, oh shit. Sorry, man. We thought you were the Pope of Bala. Sorry. Wow. And just all is forgiven. Right. Now, a little bit later in a nearby town, there was another man who was attacked because someone said he smelled bad and he wore a charm that looked like what a Popabawa would wear. So something kind of tribal and, you know, something that would be like, oh, that has power. And again, he said he smelled bad. So, of course, they're like, oh, sulfur. That's what he smelled like. And again, the mom mentality happened and the neighborhood came and attacked this man. Now, they ended up killing him. So this is the one that was about the first one I told you. And someone came with a machete and cut his body up so he couldn't shapeshift anymore. But again, this was someone who was dealing with mental health issues. And he had actually just arrived in town two days prior and was going to get some treatment done. <gasps> and so he was a stranger. So they were like a stranger from the outside. Ooh. Yeah. And what movie is that from? Duh. Toy Story. Yeah. <laughs> a little lap. <laughs> but yeah. So they saw a stranger. Someone said he smelled like sulfur or he smelled bad. He was wearing something that isn't local to their community. Mm -hmm. And so he was different and that meant he was dangerous, which unfortunately still rings true. I was just about to say, yes, exactly. And I said communities, I mean society. Now those people went to extreme, you know, and killed this innocent man and hurt several others. But there are other ways that are thought to be able to protect yourself from a Popabawa 
Now, some people in the communities are known to have abilities to ward off the popabella, and they can sense it when it's in its human form, and they'll scream at it until it goes away. And another way is thought if you carry or you recite scripture from the Quran, it will ward off the power of the popabella. But most commonly, it is if you tell someone about your attacks and you're vocal about your belief in the Popabala's existence, it can hold the same power over you so it doesn't victimize you. Like it won't be able to draw that same energy out of you so you're safe. Now, there have been attacks and sightings as recent as 2007, but nothing as bad as that 1995 Popabala panic that happened, thankfully. On Destination Truth, on episode 204, Josh Gates, he visited Stonetown in Zanzibar, and he was on the hunt for the Popabawa. And, you know, Josh Gates is the host, and he spoke with some locals who were attacked by a Popabawa. One man said he saw something outside that looked like it was flying, and then he smelled that sulfuric smell, and he tensed up knowing what was going on. So he was ready for the Popabawa. And he said he had the fight of his life that night. However, he was able to escape without being molested. And he quickly told others so he wouldn't be attacked the next night. And then there is another victim who refused to be on camera, but he did tell his story to Josh. And he said it was around 2 a.m. He was half asleep and he was awoken by a sound. And all he could make out was it was something big and heavy. And it sounded like it had wings. He said he fought and fought and fought until he could not fight anymore. And that's when he was weakened and then sexually violated by the Pope Abawa. And after that intense pain, he lost consciousness. He woke up with bruises and cuts all over his body and was extremely sore inside and out. And he said that he was not a believer of this before, but he knows it was a Pope Abawa that attacked him. And so the man went to one of the healers or the medicine men in town to get protected from future attack. Now, Josh went and met with the most prominent medicine man in Stonetown, and he found out that he was actually on the government's payroll as a healer and a protector from the Pope Abawa. His name is Sharif Ahmed. And Josh was like, okay, well, I want to go on the hunt for the Popabawa. So can you give me something that's going to protect me, but also draw this Popabawa out just to see if it was real, if they could do anything, you know? So he mixed up some concoction that looked like dirt. And he said that it would tempt the Popabawa, but keep Josh safe. And like Josh just had to eat it. So he put it on his hand. And like Josh had to lick it like it was salt, basically. And it didn't seem to draw the Popabawa out, but apparently the protection worked because they didn't see any Popabawa, right? So that made Josh like just kind of side-eye everything. Like, okay, there's got to be some other story to this. And so he spoke with a researcher in Stonetown and he was like, look, I think that it was made up to strike fear and unrest in communities. And he spoke to the researcher again about this. And he was like, well, yeah, you're right. Like, that's what he thinks as well, because it seems like the party that's the opposition party will use the Pope of Bala as a boogeyman to get you to vote for them. 
Like if you go against us, the Pocobello will find you and attack you and you'll never be the same because it's such a vicious and personal attack. And because I do believe in a lot of the folklore and they're known to be very superstitious, it works. And even like when Josh went back and looked at the very beginning, back in the late 60s, early 70s, when it first arrived on the scene, the Pope of Bella, one of the president that was coming from the like the unrest that overthrew the government, he was like, I like stand against the Pope of Bella and I like welcome it to attack me try to get me like I will protect you from the Pope of Bala. stand with me you'll be safe mm-hmm. and he said that he did fight it or something and then like once he won the revolution part of it the Pope of Bala stopped and everything was great and like he was the hero of this story you know and so every time that it's come up it's been before a local election convenient so Yeah. So it's like, oh, okay. So again, like fact is scarier than fiction. Absolutely. But I will say that again, if you say you don't believe in the Pope of Ballot, that is when they will come and attack you. So Carrie, do you have anything to say? Mm -mm. Sure don't. I'm going to Pope and bow out and uh, not say a (laughs) damn word. Look, I may be a skeptic, but I'm not a fucking fool. Like, I'm not Zach Bagans to be like, ooh, come get me, ghost. And then the ghost actually fucking come, and I'm a scaredy banana. No, I don't know what a scaredy scaredy banana banana is, but here we are. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely seems like it's a scare tactic, though. That it ironically only comes up when. Yeah, but then you can say because of all the energy that's going around, because it is so hectic and just chaotic and... People are so vindictive Mm -hmm. and malicious when it's political season, you know, so it's like, I don't know. It's also very interesting to me that it has this sexual assault component to it that's interesting, Mm -hmm. but that it usually attacks men too. And the way to get it to stop attacking you is to acknowledge the attacks, which is not something that is, I feel like less men speak out about their sexual assaults than women statistically. And so it like forces men to speak out about their sexual assaults. You know what I mean? So is it even something to do with that? True. I didn't even think of that. Because if it's like, you know, a lot of sexual assaults were happening on women and they weren't getting recognition and it's like, okay, well, here's this thing that's going to attack mostly men and it's going to be a sexual assault. And the only way to get it to stop is they have to acknowledge it. They have to make themselves vulnerable like they're making us, you know? That's so true. Well, before we get into my story, we got to talk about Earth Breeze. Y'all, literally right before we recorded, I washed a load of clothes and used my Earth Breeze. I love Earth Breeze. I have used it several times now because, you know, I don't do laundry all that often, but I love it every time. One, it's space saving. And two, it's just so much easier to get a sheet of the detergent out than the pods and, you know, just all the other stuff, the liquid. And guess what? It is kinder to our planet. And we know what y'all are thinking. Laundry is not fun. And lugging all that heavy stuff in and out of your house like picture the infomercial of all infomercials of you lugging detergent in and out of your house 
and spilling things and got to put the cap and loose all the things. No, you do not have to do that with Earth Breeze. Their eco sheets are here to change the game. Also, we know that we're not a fan of laundry because laundry is usually in the basement of houses. And what do we say are in the basement? Laundry demons. Yeah, but no demons with Earth Breeze. What I like too is that on the back, it shows you, okay, this size load, this is what you need to use. And so it takes the guesswork out of, okay, how much do I need to use? Whereas when you just kind of use a pod, it's like one size for all. Whereas with Earth Breeze, you can say, okay, I'm going to use half a sheet. I'm going to use a whole sheet. I'm going to use two sheets because this is a huge load and it's really soiled. You know, use that for like Jax's blankets and stuff because... Oh, sure. Jax's blankets. Well, he does sleep on them on the couch, ma'am. I lay them out for him because the couch is fake leather, so it's cold on his little belly. So those blankets get nasty, so I use two Earth Breezes for that. But like then, I just did a kind of a small load because I had to wear dirty pants to work because I forgot to do laundry. And so it was a small load. So I just did half a sheet. Yeah, I really do love Earth Breeze and it fights against all the stains, all the odors and gives you an amazing clean every single time. Also, I haven't had the issue where like before some pods had not all like broken down Mm -hmm. in the wash. But with Earth Breeze, I have not had that issue. And Earth Breeze is dermatologist tested hypoallergenic and free of bleach and dyes. So it is perfect for every single load. And y'all know Donna's skin. She has to use like hypoallergenic, all the free of all the things. And I do the same thing too, because I don't want it to be smelly when I have a headache. So both of us like to use scent free, all the things and Earth Breeze has that option. And it's perfect for every load, from bedding to towels, and even for your delicate. And the best part is you're never going to run out of detergent again, because Earth Breeze has a flexible subscription that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time without any hidden fees or penalties. And when you subscribe right now, you're going to save 40%. And of course, shipping is free, because if it ain't free, I ain't doing it. Mm -hmm. If it's not free, it's not for me. And like Donna said, Earth Breeze's Eco Sheets are packaged in a slim cardboard envelope. So it really does save space when you're trying to make your laundry room like this aesthetic TikTok oasis. You don't have to worry about taking up a bunch of room. Also, it's not heavy to carry inside. So switching to Earth Breeze won't only make laundry easier for you, but also the planet. Because there's no plastic jugs. They've planted over 150,000 trees and donated over 1 million loads of laundry and counting to those in need. That's amazing. So it's good for you, good for the planet, and good for other people. And we know that you're going to love it. But if you don't, all you have to do is let them know and you'll get a full refund. No questions asked. So right now, our listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash creep. That's earthbreeze.com slash creep for 40% off your subscription. E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash creep. Use Earthbreeze because it's a breeze. Okay, so do you know who Phil Spector is? No, I know who Regina Spector is. Okay, so... Phil Spector, you'll know immediately whenever I show you his picture who he is. You'll be like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So a little bit of background. 
Phil Spector was born Harvey Philip Spector, and he was very young. His father actually died by suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh, gosh. So when he was 12, he, his mother, and his older sister moved to Los Angeles. Well, eventually, Phil decided that he wanted to get into the music industry. When he was in high school, he started a band called the Teddy Bears. Oh, that sounds squishy. (laughs) Okay, let me just say, literally every, I listened to probably three podcasts on this. Every single one of them roasted that name. And Donna's (laughs) like, oh my God, I love it. Like, I mean, well, roasted that name. <laughs> I think there's a lot you could do with the teddy bears. <laughs> think about the merch option. <laughs> oh my God. Like literally like, only you. Well, like they could partner with Build-A-Bear. Well, this group actually was. But like also. Okay. Just trying to make that Doubling down on this. <laughs> yeah. Because they could do that. And then, like, instead of, like, having, like, no sound, like, you could put their little, like, some, like, song snippets in there. Yeah, like Teddy Rumpskin. What's his name? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Very hard name. Why did they name a kid's toy that? Anyway. Oh, I don't know. So, this band had one hit record. It was called To Know Him Is To Love Him. And they were actually on America Bandstand. But here's the thing. So, Phil was in this band, but he had terrible stage fright and was like, actually, I don't want to be a musician in that way. I want to be more behind the scenes. And that's like a producer. Yes. And that's exactly who he was. That's when he became a producer. I just love the fact that like, see, he could have had stage fright, but he didn't think this through because he could have just been like how the guy that has like the like light up head now and yeah, all the, that the like you can't see mushroom him. guy. I mean, no, uh, like the marshmallow. Yeah, 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 marshmallow. Yeah, like that. You could have like the head on uh, it. It'd be like Sia. fucking cool. God, I thought about Sia and I was like, well, but yeah, the wig. Yeah. So Phil Spector ended up having actually a really legit career. So he actually got married, and while he was married, he started working with the Renettes. Have you? Do you remember hearing of them? Okay. Yeah. So Ronnie from the Renettes, she was like 17 at this time. And they started having an affair while he was her producer. And so he ended up getting divorced from his wife and marrying her. So we'll talk about that in a minute. So he just a couple of the things that he produced because like he has a a huge thing. He also. A repertoire. Yes. I said it was like 10 syllables because I couldn't say it easily. He also came up with the concept, the wall of sound. Do you remember that from band? No. Well, you did band for like two years, but so. I did it for three, but I, if you combined all the things that I learned in that, did it for like half a year. So basically I don't really get it, but um, this like little Washington post little part on Google says it's this technique of recording where you do like multi-tracks over each other's to create like a melody. But he, he coined this, like this was his thing and it was like completely changed the industry. Okay. So he did a lot of work with John Lennon and the Beatles produced several tracks on the let it be album. He worked with Tina Turner do you remember that song, the do run, 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 the do run, run? Okay, he did that mm-hmm. song. That And then the runettes, the be my, be my baby, that one. Yeah, I knew that one. And then the crystals, and then he kissed me. Oh, yeah. shit, okay. The Righteous Brothers, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. Yeah, uh-huh. good songs, right? 
But the one that was like his favorite song that kind of made him go off the deep end a little bit was Ike and Tina's Turner's The River Deep Mountain High. And it was kind of a flop. Uh And so that was his like favorite song of all time. And the fact that it kind of flopped was like really hard for him. Which is so wild that like it's now popular. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, while Phil Spector may have had this amazing career, was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and all of these things. He was a really shitty human. So Ronnie actually came out in the 90s with a memoir and talked about how terrible their relationship was. So they adopted a kid. And then one year for Christmas, he adopted two kids as a surprise for her. What? I'm like, these are fucking humans. This is not a puppy. You don't just like, let me adopt these kids to surprise you. And you shouldn't do that with animals either. No, I know. But like, this is like a fucking human life that you are, you know, and then also like, how did he adopt kids when he was married and it was just him? But it's like, because he's a rich, cis white male, like, of course he was able to do it. Like the stuff that this man gets away with because he's just like, oh, well, that's just what Phil does. Like, oh, Phil's just eclectic. Phil's just... A little weird. Phil's just this. Oh, that's just Phil. Oh, he's just like that. Oh, it's just. And it's like, okay, if a regular Joe Schmo was doing these things, they would be in fucking prison. But because Mm -hmm. he's this famous producer of music, y'all are letting all this shit slide and we'll find out the outcome in the end. Is this from one of those, that show? Uh The famous well, thing? It may be on there. I actually don't know if it is or not. It was from a TikTok that was like, famous celebrities that blah, blah, blah. So this part right here, I actually found on Wikipedia. And so I don't really know much of the background of this because you're going to be like, wait, what? But I really don't have any more information. But I think it's important to tell to show the power that Phil Spector had. So apparently one time, Ronnie had been arrested by a detective for sex work at a hotel. Like, I don't think she actually did it. Like, I think they just, I I don't actually know. But she was booked for sex work and she got her call who she called Phil. So Phil calls the hotel and like threatens them. And so then they're like, oh, okay, it's over. Sorry. And like, let her go. Right. So that like, again, I know that's kind of a shitty example because I don't really know the, a lot of the background of it, but I just want to show the power that he had. Yeah. Especially in like the 60s, 70s, when he was so big. Some stuff said that she was like 17 when they met. And I think he was like five years older than her. But when they got married, I think she was around 20. But still like, so he's this 22, 23 year old. And she's this... 17 year old I, I don't know well and still though he was the producer yes he it's the power dynamics he was the producer she was the the talent you know and he was married right but in ronnie's memoir she talks about how terrible the marriage was and how she was subjected to years of torture psychological torture and that when if she like threatened to leave he would say that he was going to sabotage her career and allegedly he had a casket like a gold casket in the basement and was like if you leave me this is your casket what she said that the house had barbed wire surrounding it and guard dogs so that she couldn't leave and that he would take all of her shoes so that she couldn't leave because she didn't have shoes what the hell so it was like they were keeping her there not 
keeping things out. Right. And she also said that he didn't want her to go anywhere by herself. But if she did, she had this like life-size dummy of him that she had to put in the car with her to like make it look like he was with her. What the fuck? But in 1992, she actually fled barefoot with nothing, like had no possessions, but her mom helped her leave the marriage. So she left in 1972. In 1974 is when the divorce was final and she had to forfeit everything. She had to forfeit all future earnings from her recordings and give him the kids because he threatened her and said that he would hire a hitman to kill her. Oh my gosh. So all she got, $25,000 car, like a used car, and then she got $2,500 a month in alimony for five years. Wow. And so she said that he would like pull a gun and hold her at gunpoint and threaten her if she left or if she didn't give him the kids, all of that. I mean, it was a really bad, toxic marriage. Yeah. So as Phil Spector got older in his career, he was kind of always a little bit of a recluse because, again, he was just kind of a very eccentric guy. Like he was a short kind of petite guy. And so he always wore wigs, like these huge wigs. And they say that he really didn't have friends. Like he had acquaintances in the music industry and all of that. But I don't think people really liked him because he seemed to pull guns on people a lot. Like apparently one time, yeah, like if people wanted to leave like the recording studio, he would like apparently literally did this to John Lennon, like pulled a gun out and was like, you're not leaving. What the fuck? So people didn't really like him, but they excused his behavior because of who he was and how much money he had and power. And, you know, he's making these people's careers with this music. Yeah. So he had this very huge house that he called his the castle. And that's where he spent most of his time. Now, he had f- some marriages and had, you know, he would go out on dates and all of that. And that's when we come to February 3rd, 2003. Oh shit. So Phil has been out on the town. He's got a limo driver that's like taking him everywhere when he arrives at the House of Blues. Now, apparently he was VIP here at the House of Blues in West Hollywood. At the time, there was an actress working there by the name of Lana Clarkson. Lana had kind of risen to fame in the early 80s because she played this one small role on the Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Like had literally one line where I think she only said hi. But it got her into the Screen Actors Guild. That was kind of the launching point for her career. But she was a pretty well-known B actress. Like, she was more of like, you know how you get these, like, cult movies where Mm -hmm. people know, like, if you're into those type of movies, you, like, know the actress and they're, like, they're huge in that world. I feel like that's kind of how Lana was. So she was in this movie called The Barbarian Queen, and she was the lead role. And they kind of call that role like the original Xena. And so that Mm -hmm. that was her main role. And I think she even did a little bit on Three's Company. And she actually has a pretty good amount of things that she has starred in. But that Barbarian Queen is probably her biggest. And so I think that's one of those like cult kind of sci-fi type things that you know she was like at the comic book conventions and all of that and so like within that group she was pretty well known which i mean yeah sign me up Get in. You know? she had done a bunch of commercials and 
had made appearances on Night Cart, Silk Stockings. Remember that show? The intro of Silk Stockings was like titillating. (laughs) Yes, it was. (laughs) As a kid, it's like, oh, what is this? You know? Oh my gosh. I thought it was going to be a porn. (laughs) Meanwhile, I like wasn't allowed to watch it, but I watched it with my mom some. Like, I don't know why. It was like, you're not allowed to watch it, but you are. It's one I don't very Yeah. But she was also a model. And, you know, her career was doing pretty good. But then she actually had an accident where she had fallen and broken both wrists. So it really put her career on hold because, I mean, she's playing like a warrior princess. You know, you can't do warrior princess things with two broken wrists, right? So her career kind of started slowing down in her 30s and then their accident and all the things. And so she was kind of starting to try to change things. She had been like, okay, what about if I do stand-up comedy, you know, whatever. Like she was just trying new things. So what she decided to do was take a part-time job as a hostess at the House of Blues in West Hollywood to kind of help her make ends meet. But also essentially she was who like opened the velvet rope for you of the VIP section. So she was able to really make some good connections with people to kind of be like, oh, okay, you're producing this new thing. You need a 30-year-old blonde that's beautiful. (laughs) Hi, it's me. You know? Yeah. So- That is where she and Phil Spector cross paths. When Phil Spector gets there, he had been basically already, he's like already shit-faced. And he gets to the VIP section and she actually misgenders him because of his wigs. And I think he had like, one podcast I listened to said he had like a long brown hair wig that night. And so she was like, I'm sorry, ma'am, you're not allowed in this area. It's for VIP only. And he's like, uh, excuse me? Do you know who I am? Like, blah, blah, blah. And her manager's like, bitch, that's Phil Spector. And she's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And the manager's like, you better fucking take care of him tonight. Like, schmooze him, make this right. Because he's VIP there. So she does. She spends the whole night doing her thing, making him like, do you need anything? You know, however you schmooze VIPs, don't know. And things go great. You know, he's happy, all is well, and she's going to get off work, and he, like, follows her outside and tries to convince her to come to his house. Well, you know she's got to be thinking. I mean, I can't put words into her mouth, but you know she's got to be thinking, I got to make this guy happy. If I don't go with him, is he going to tell my boss? Am I going to get fired? What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Keep him happy. She's, like, 40. He's, like, 65. I mean, not. I'm not trying to be ageist by any means, but she's not that into him, I don't think. But I think she's more worried about the repercussions of not making this VIP happy. So she's like, okay, I'll go to your house with you. The guy driving Phil's limo takes him to his Alhambra house, aka his castle, which is like a 33-room mansion. It's fucking huge. Oh my gosh. So the guy driving the limo is Adriano D'Souza. So he says he drops him off at the house and he waits outside. They're in the house for about two hours when all of a sudden, Adriano hears a gunshot. Oh, fuck. So what do you think his first reaction is? Call who? I don't know. Now what is what you think he'd do, right? Well, no, because that's what I was like. No, he's not going to try to get his employer in Precisely. I'm like, if if this is not the most Hollywood bullshit, Uh not let's call the police and let's make sure everybody's okay. No, let's call the fucking assistant. Let's call the PR. Let's call whomever to make sure that the star is okay. 
That's the most fucking right. Hollywood bullshit I've ever heard of, and it pisses me off. But he did eventually call police. Now, Adriano says that Phil Spector runs outside with a gun in his hand and tells him, I think I killed someone, and then runs back inside. All I can just see is him with his hair doing that and being like, ooh, with the gun, and then like running back inside. And also, don't tell me, because then you're going to kill me, because I'm a right? witness. So when the police get there, they find Lana Clarkson sitting in, sorry, I, I love the shade of this article on All That's Interesting because they made a note to say it was a fake Louis Fourteenth chair. The fact that they threw in the shade of it fake was just everything because fuck <laughs> you, Phil Spector, but pretty gruesome. They found her sitting in a chair and... Basically, the bottom of her mouth had been blown off. There was blood all over her, and there was a gun at her left leg. Now, they say, like, this is really graphic, so if you don't want to know this, skip. That, like, the, like, recoil of the gun, like, knocked her teeth out. Oh, my God. I was just thinking, like, was it in her yes. mouth? Did he make yes. her? Yes. Gosh. So, the police are trying to figure out what's going on. Keep in mind, too, there are, I think they said there were like 15 phones in this house, and Phil Spector did not pick up one fucking phone to call police. And so when the police get there, they say Phil Spector's like kind of rambling, and he tells the police that the gun accidentally went off. He tells them that she works at House of Blues. It was a mistake. I don't understand what the fuck is wrong with you people. I'm sorry this happened. I don't know how it happened. So he's like telling all these things. So the police take him into custody because, I mean, hello, they have to, they're taking him to the police station to figure out what the fuck is going on. And that's when he starts saying that Lana died by suicide. So it was a good little while before they actually said like, okay, she was the police, like through their investigation all were like, okay, she was murdered. But here's the thing. The gun that was at her feet had no fingerprints on them. Not Lana's, but not Phil's either. So it's like, if she died by suicide, her fingerprints would be on it. Yeah. But I did see an article that was talking about Phil Spector's daughter. And how in that, they said that there was no gunshot residue on his hands. But that's the only place I saw that. But they did find blood spatters on this, like, white jacket that was hung up in, like, a closet that was Phil's that had Lana's blood on it. So it's like he had this jacket on and then like took it off and went and hung it up. But some people are like, yeah. well, it didn't have enough blood on it. Well, because the blood was spattered back. It wasn't, it didn't cut, you know what I mean? You had the gun in her yeah. mouth that, I mean, this is graphic, but it went out the back, you know? So the gun was found at her left foot and she was right-handed. So, you know, if it was her dying by suicide, then you would think that it would have fallen down by the right side. This is so weird, but there was a white cloth diaper. Don't know why, but it had Lana's blood on it and it was on the bathroom floor and they could tell that it had been used to like clean up blood. Maybe he had a different kink. Maybe, but either way, it had blood. It was used to clean up. Yeah. Also, when Lana was found, she was sitting in the chair with her shoes, everything on, like even her purse on, like she was about to leave. So, like, mm. why would she have shot herself if she was about to leave? Yeah. So, we'll get into some more of that stuff. But the police ended up arresting him after they were like, okay, this is murder. And he was released on a million dollar bail. And I'm like, if this was anybody who did not have fucking money, they would have mm -hmm. spent all their time in jail awaiting trial. 
yeah. especially a person of color, would never have gotten right. out. Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, arrested and indicted on September of 2004 for second degree murder. His trial did not happen until 2007. So this is just such Good a, Lord. yeah, this is such a long process. Yeah. And he's out on bail this entire time. Phil Spector hired a couple of high profile attorneys and he went through a lot of attorneys. But first and foremost, he hired Robert Shapiro, who you may recognize as OJ's attorney. Yes. Then he also hired Leslie Abramson, who was the Menendez brothers attorney. Wow. Fired her and went through a whole shebang of attorneys. Mm-hmm. But like I said, in 2007, it finally went to trial. Now, the whole time this was at trial, it was like a spectacle because like I said, he always wore these very extravagant outfits and wigs and he did. So there was like a lot of people like seeing him taking cameras, blah, blah, blah. He would come into court with bodyguards and then there was just like this whole spectacle. And in the trial, he said that Lana kissed the gun before she died by suicide. No, she didn't fucking do that. Oh and my the gosh. defense, well, their defense was to paint her as this B-list actress who is out of work and miserable and depressed and, you know, working at a House of Blues. Working at a house of blues and, you know, washed up, no career, blah, blah, blah. And so they are saying that she died by suicide. Now, of course, the prosecution's like, that's definitely not what happened. Here's the examples of why that did not happen. Because, you know, if you look at the blood evidence, well, first of all, she didn't wipe her fingerprints off the gun. And she didn't wipe blood up from other places in the house. Because how would she have done that? Like, how would she have gotten all of that, all these other places, you know? Also, I think there were about... Five women that testified that Phil Spector had actually threatened them with a gun when they were at either his house or his hotel and they tried to leave, that he would threaten them with a gun. And so that... I was going to say, that's his Yeah, MO. that fits perfectly. I mean, it even happened to freaking John Lennon when he's trying, you know, so mm-hmm. it really fits perfectly with she's got her shoes and her purse on, she's trying to leave and he pulls his gun out. Because the other thing with her, them saying that she died by suicide was, so this house that she's never been to before, these 33 rooms, there's one drawer open in this whole fucking house and it's the drawer with the gun and she just knew exactly what drawer to go to to pull this gun out. It's not what happened. Right. But with all of this, the jurors were at a deadlock. Two holdouts. So it ended up being a mistrial. So the prosecution was like, absolutely not. We are doing this again. He did this. We, you know, I I think that a lot of people were comparing this like, okay, this is not going to be another famous person that gets away literally with murder you know, citing OJ and which I know Michael Jackson didn't kill anybody, but Michael Jackson and all that, you know, it's like, we're not, this isn't happening again. Like we're coming for him. He's not going to, we're going to do this trial again. So this time at trial, Phil Spector's attorney was like, okay, can you stop with the outfits and the wigs? Pick one, wear it the whole time. (laughs) Don't make this the spectacle. I do want to say that I'd heard on a couple of podcasts, Red Handed did this story. They did a really good job on this. There's another podcast I listened to called Something Sick. And then there was one called Hollywood Crime Scene. There's just tons of podcasts about this. But they talked about how he had actually had an accident 
like years and years and years ago where he had to have like hundreds of stitches and that he may have had some hair growth pattern issues because of that and that's probably why he started wearing the wigs and all but they got bigger i mean i'm talking these were huge wigs the other thing that they did at this trial was the prosecution brought on an expert that talked about how that when people die by suicide it's very very rare that they would do it at a stranger's house and also i mean don't quote me on the the statistics here but statistically women don't use firearms they do it doesn't mean it doesn't happen but statistically it's less likely of any method that a woman would use is not typically a firearm yeah so the defense tried to poke holes saying that going back to the the limo driver they were saying that because english wasn't his first language that he didn't understand what phil specter said there were no language barrier issues ever with this man. Now, all of a sudden, this one very important line he didn't understand, that's not true. Right. And kill and gun and shoot or whatever he said, those are words that people know. They felt like maybe one of the jurors had been bought off or bought out or whatever from the first trial. And so I think I heard this on Red Handed Podcast that they said that there were actually FBI agents in the courtroom to make sure that there was no jury tampering. But this time, the jurors found him guilty of second-degree murder, and he was sentenced to 19 years to life in prison. Now, after all of this happened, he still got married again. I think they ended up getting divorced, too. And his daughter is still like a really like a staunch supporter of him and saying that he didn't do this, that it, she had died by suicide and all of that. But he was, like I said, found guilty and sentenced. And on January 16th of 2021, Phil Spector, when he was 81 years old, actually died of COVID-19. Oh, shit. And Lana's family did win a civil suit against him. And like they were saying how he was using all this money against like in his defense, because he didn't want her family to get any of his money. It's like, so mm. he wanted to use up all the money that he could on his defense so that her family couldn't win it in the civil suit. Like wow. how shitty, how fucking shitty are you? Right. And he's that conniving uh-huh. that that would yep. be true. Oh, 1000%. There was a Daily Mail article in January of 2021 that was talking about who's going to get his $50 million fortune. Because you had three adopted children. But, you know, his ex-wife uh, that was the one that while all this was going down, he got married to. And she was like 25 or something. She was very young. And, you know, you've got this 65, 70-year-old man going away for life. Like, you don't, yeah. you're not in love, ma'am. You are here for the money. Yeah. She was saying like how broke they were and that, I saw, I heard this on one of the podcasts too. I think this one was on the Hollywood one. She was saying how broke they are because he's having to spend all this money on his defense when, you know, he's innocent and all of that. And it's like, but he has this, first of all, this enormous house that could be sold, but they're not going to. And I'm sure it's all probably too at that point. There's a freeze on everything because he's going through all this. Mm -hmm. But you also have all this memorabilia that's in this house that could be sold too. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I just wonder, like, did his kids get anything? Is there anything left? Is there, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But I just feel like there was so much with him that was swept under the rug because of who he was. His 
whatever, like that people like that's just feel. And it's not that's assault with a deadly weapon. He pulled a fucking gun on. Yeah. No, it's not. Right. And even if it wasn't that serious, just because you are a creative genius or whatever doesn't give you the right to be an asshole and a terrible human. Correct. Like I hate when people say stuff like they really look up to um, the guy from Apple. God, Uh I can't think of his name. Yeah. But like in the biopic and stuff, he was a fucking asshole. Yeah. Also, Stephen Hawking. Oh yeah, he was, yes. Terrible. But it's like, he's so renowned and all of the things and it's like, he can be smart and he can be all of this, but like, he was also a terrible person who should not got away with half the shit mm-hmm. he got away with. Well, that's how I feel about a lot of these artists. Like, I don't listen to Chris Brown. I don't listen to Michael Jackson. And it, are there some people that I probably don't know about that I do, you know? Well, like R. Kelly, no. we don't listen to and him anymore. My friend Kim at work is like, can you not ruin this person for me? Because like, I don't listen to John Mayer. I've heard really, really terrible things about him, about how he treats women and stuff. And so I'm like, mm, not listening. Mm-hmm. You know, she's every single person. She's like, can you not ruin this person for me? I'm like, Ooh, they suck because of blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yeah, please don't ruin Emily Blunt for me. And I was like, Okay, well, I won't. There's a TikTok yeah, she, yeah, about she was like, it. Can you ruin her for me? And I was like, Yes. And she's like, Don't I love her? And if y'all don't know what we're talking about, there was a TikTok that, like, it was like a interview from her years ago that resurfaced where trying to make a joke, she talked horribly about this server that she had. I think it was like at a Chili's or something. Yeah, Chili's, it, which is yeah. what I had to eat tonight, by the way. But this server that worked at Chili's and she talked about how basically like how homely everybody was because it's a rural area that they were filming and that she made a joke about how this person like how big she was that she must eat a lot of the chilies there and like all this stuff. And it was like, it wasn't funny. Like even the person, I can't remember. It was, it wasn't like Jimmy Kimmel, but it was something like that. No, no, no. It's, it's the guy that Tiffany's like screaming at me right now because I like a lot of his clips on TikTok, his name show, and it's over in the UK. Jonathan Ross show. That's what it is. That's where it was. Yeah. Okay. But she like called the, the waitress, I, I think I said server a couple of times. I don't know if that's the correct language, but like literally called her enormous. And it was just really fat shaming, body shaming. It was really bad. And it was from 2012. So I feel like maybe she's grown from then. That was 12 years ago, you know, but it resurfaced. Yeah. And as a person of size, it's offensive big time. But that yeah. was like her whole shtick though on that show was like to talk about going to this restaurant and how fat everybody was you know and the host yeah. was like i'm sure she was really great or i, I can't even remember it was like no he he oh, said see, into I, it, I didn't get that from that yes because i remember like he said something and i thought it was the graham norton guy and so i was like no i like him you know but i understand like the host is just like going along with it because she's his person but he said something he like made a joke too like maybe that she got a lot of free appetizers or something like that. Like he made a joke. That's what he said. When she said like she was enormous, I think she got free meals there. He goes, nothing wrong with that. Okay. So we went back and listened and he does say, this is why Americans are enormous because of our portions. But when she said 
that she was enormous and yeah, because, she, yeah, ate because she ate like all the appetizer. He was like, nothing wrong with that. So at first I was like, okay, cool. He's, he likes big girls or whatever, you know, he's cool with no. And then, cause I heard the part that Donna was talking about where he was like, that's why all Americans are enormous. And to be yeah. fair, Americans are heavier, but I mean, you don't have to be a dick about it. Right. Well, and there's also a lot of lifestyle differences yeah. between the two, yeah. you know? Because I learned in Scotland, they will deep fry anything. Like they deep fry pizza. There is a shop that's called the Fry Shop and you could take anything there and they will deep fry it. And I mean, I want to, of course, try all this stuff because I just want to know what a deep fried pizza tastes like. Like I probably couldn't eat it all or I'd have to dip it into a lot of ranch. But Which um, is a very American thing. (laughs) Yes. But the guy who was telling me this, he was one of my old coworkers and me and my other coworker are extra large pizzas. And we were like, how are you not like you're saying all of these things that you eat and, you know, all of this stuff, but it's like, they also walk everywhere because it's like set up for that. You know, we're not set up for that here, you know, that kind of thing. And also our regulations on food are not as strict as a lot of developed countries. Like you will literally have the same, again, let's take Fruit Loops, for example. I think we've talked about this and they will be of completely different color in the UK than they are here because they're not allowed to have a lot of the dyes and additives that we are here. So they make them cheap here with all of those additives. So those lead to inflammation and cancers and blah, 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 blah. But also size doesn't equal health either because- you know, that's a whole thing too. I'm just like, because you could be just know. as unhealthy as me and be thin. Yeah. Well, that's our soapbox for the day. Oh, and the fuck. <laughs> I mean, I know how we got on that, but also how in the fuck. Right. I know. At least we meet the weight limit, huh? <laughs> to be on that soapbox. Man, have you seen those videos of the people who, if you weigh 350 or more, you get to eat free at this buffet and there's like a huge yeah. scale in front of the store and you have to stand Yeah, no, ain't no way, ain't no how. There is a place in Vegas that's like called like the heart attack thing or something. And like, you're supposed to weigh yourself before and weigh yourself after eating mm-hmm. there. And I was like, no, because also it's like the big scale. And I always hated that on the biggest yes. loser. I get why they have to do it, but it's like, this is what they weigh, like the weighing station yes. at because you're so big. So we're going to like, I don't know. I just feel like, oh, no, I'm not cattle. Yeah. Well, I will say one thing because you know, McDonald's is like my favorite place ever. I even had to roll my eyes at their menu though, because they have like the double Big Mac yes. now and the double fish fillet sandwich is like what they're doing. And I'm like, come on. But again, that's not my cup of tea. Like that's too much like of the meat for me. Why is it a double Big Mac? I don't know. I don't even know how you fit that in your mouth. (laughs) No, because I eat the Big Mac in two things. I eat a a burger and then basically an open face sandwich or a hot dog, depending on how I hold it. (laughs) But I will say that they have their shamrock shake and I have been very tempted to get it because I do love the shamrock shake. There's a little sandwich place close to my work. And when I pull up, because I usually get it on Mondays, and when I pull up, the lady knows me, and she goes, hey, Miss Carrie, here you go, half and half tea with light ice, here you are, and I was like, (laughs) I'm Donna. (laughs) Yep. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. Oh, my God, I forgot to tell you, I was on the phone with you one time, and, like, I hung up with you, but... I don't know, like me and you had been laughing about something. So like I was in like that kind of mood and I was at the 
place like at McDonald's to pick up my order. And it was this sweet little kid. And he was like, I'm so sorry. Can I get you to move up to the like station four? Cause I mean, like they had everyone like moving. I was like, no. And his face like went white. And it was just like, I was like, I'm just joking. I'm so sorry. Like, you don't know me to know that I'm joking, but like, yes, I will move up. Like, I would be like, look, okay, I was on the phone with that friend and we joked, like, but it was like, because I was just like, no. But like, he was just like, oh shit. Yeah. You know, like 16 at his first fucking job, you know, scared like, the shit out of that poor boy. Oh my God. But then I was like, oh my God, no, <laughs> you don't know that I'm joking. I'm so sorry. Like, you know, he was like, no, people do do that. And I'm like, no, I will gladly go wherever. It's fine. Bless it. You probably scare the shit out of him. I know. Well, thank y'all for listening. Hopefully we didn't scare the shit out of y'all with this story with the thing that Donna, what was it called again? The Popa Bawa. Well, let us know what y'all think about that. Don't forget to acknowledge it so it doesn't come for you. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get, get scared. scared.